Welcome back. I'm Kristen Marchand, and this is the Apianga Line. Today, we're celebrating Father's Day by celebrating one of the most interesting fathers who ever came out of Barry's Bay. Henry Nicholson, as you heard in the previous section, was no ordinary man. He was very much a lumberjack of the old school who knew his trade, and who also happened to be a pretty good ball player. As anybody who knew him, Henry was also somebody who wore a constant smile and who seemed to spend his entire life making other people smile, or as he liked to say, getting a rise out of them. Whatever Henry had to say about himself, or whatever other folks in Barry's Bay might have thought about Henry, we have three people here today who knew Henry Nicholson up close and personal. His daughter Barb, his son Dan, and his granddaughter Kate. And all have a thing or two to say about their dad and granddad, who sometimes got more than just a rise out of them. Let's join them now on this Father's Day as they remember the very personable Henry Nicholson that they knew well. It just seemed like at home we had wood for probably 10 years. We always, it seemed like we were piling wood constantly. If we didn't pile it at home, we were piling it at one of my grandmothers or we were piling it at a neighbor's, but piling wood, it was, um, that was one of the things we we certainly did at home with Henry, and that's one of my earliest memories. Wood stove was our main heating, well, was our only heating uh, system at one time. My, uh, one of my memories, um, first of all, when, when we're talking about early memories, um, I really don't have that many early memories uh, that I can just, you know, pull out a file and, and come up with them. My file is slowing down as I get older. But uh, one of the things I do remember uh, is the patience that he had. Um, being very young, I, I had quite a temper. I was a more of a tomboy. I'd rather be outside than inside doing girl things. And I do remember getting together with the Shoe Shacks and the uh, Mintas and Nicholson Boys, maybe the Odd Murray, and uh, building a raft. Uh, this would be in the spring, and um, getting pushed off the raft, <laughs> being very wet, of course, heading for home. And all I could remember was my mom saying, wait till your dad gets home. Wait till your dad gets home. I remember saying to myself, oh, that's it. That's it. I'm dead. Dad comes home hours later, it could have been days when you're a little kid because it sure was a hell of a long time later, and um, mom would tell him what happened, and of course I was supposed to be out of sight, but I had very good hearing, and I remember my dad saying, but they're only kids, Aggie, and, and then I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm going to live a little longer. <laughs> anyway, that was one of my... Uh, earliest memories, because I was quite young. I was maybe, I don't know, six, eight? Who the heck can recall at this time? But anyway, uh, yeah. Well, picking up on, on uh, Barb's patience, I do remember every spring would be late April, and um, Henry's neighbors, Walter Shushak and uh, Johnny Menta, would uh, want to burn grass. They'd want to burn um, Johnny's fields. So they would have a secret meeting or they, had, they would um, get together and they would 
arrange for an evening, uh, no wind, and so on and so forth. And and uh, anyway, in the neighborhood, when uh, they would get together, and uh, when that first match was lit, oh my God, there was at least 15 young lads that would come out of nowhere to, we had fires, we, and then it just became <laughs> like, they're trying to keep it out of the, uh, the swamp, out of the beaver grass, because if it gets in there, but there would be fires, every one of us would, because uh, we didn't need matches, we'd just go to a flame and start our own fire. Uh, yeah, I would. I would agree. Henry. Uh, Henry had some patience there. It, uh... I remember uh, many nights trying to stay stay awake. I would spend most of my summers in Barry's Bay, and my grandma Mercedes Conway lived in town, and so my sister and I would take turns staying at you know Grandma and Grandpa's houses, but. My sister Emily would get scared uh, hearing the sound of the, the trucks on the highway by, by Grandpa's place. And so I felt really proud that I was brave enough to stay outside of town at Grandpa's. <laughs> I would try so hard to stay awake at night so I could hear the stories when friends like Dedal Murray or Bobby Coolis or Mr. McGrath would come over to watch the ball game. And, and Grandpa talking about patience, he, he was always very patient with me, but to be honest, I didn't get into a lot of trouble, so I, he would let me stay up uh, on the couch to watch the, the ball game, and I would fall asleep to the sound of the game in the background and the guys telling stories and laughing together, and I just, sometimes I go back to those moments because they, they're so bright and so uh, calming to me. The one, berry picking. Oh my God, Henry was an avid berry picker, and you must remember, Barb. Like I definitely do. Berries. I definitely do. That's why my prayer and knees are still in good shape. <laughs> I, I, I hate berry picking to this day. I remember one night, he took us to the Bulls Run. He'd been building a road for uh, in that area, and he found this big patch of uh, raspberries. So. Everybody's packed into the 60 Chev Biscayne, and off we go that night to pick berries. We've got every, every possible vessel filled with berries, but Henry is still picking away. And um, anyway, as we finish, we venture off to the car, sitting in the car, and you can, um, you can roll the windows down and get eaten by mosquitoes, or you can roll the windows up and suffocate. And then I remember peering into the darkness and I see Henry come running out of the uh, berry patch. And I'm thinking there must be a bear after him. <laughs> but he had, uh, he'd stepped into a wasp's nest and they had, <laughs> that's what he was running from. Anyway. <laughs> This is awful, but uh, it's one of my earliest memories, but I thought, I remember thinking to myself, good for you. Like, you put us through all this, good for you. Yeah, berry picking. Apple picking was fine. 
uh, that was because you could fill a bushel of apples. Like he knew every abandoned um, farm in the area, and he would take us out on, uh, and uh, we would uh, we pick apples. But it was um, it was uh, it was uh, blueberries and raspberries. Oh my God, I hated them with a passion. <laughs> Uh, so Henry took uh, my brother John and I out there to pick apples uh, one time, and um, he knew this uh, this one tree, and he had to get to it before uh, the bears. Like somehow he had a communication with the bears, and he had to get there before uh, every bear in Algonquin Park and surrounding area. But uh, he took a rake, uh, and the reason for the rake was to pull the branches down because John and I were only like, I don't know, 10 and 12. And, um, but he did tell John to leave the rake alone. Like, don't touch the rake. John touched the rake. Brought it down on his head. Blood galore. Anyway, I remember we had to, uh, so we had to vacate the, uh, the, the apple tree and we, we took what we had and Henry limped to the car and on route he's telling me that what um, about if he doesn't make it <laughs> he's he, he's got <laughs> Henry's got this head wound <laughs> and he's thinking I'm going to have to drive the car <laughs> anyway we got home safe and sound. Well, I think my dad was um, a number one husband. Um, I remember him um, always bringing home his paycheck, and he'd hand it to my mom. She took care of all the bills and what have you, uh, you know, did the shopping. Um, and, you know, uh, he saw to it that we had a comfortable, warm home, always lots of wood. <laughs> um, he had a garden. So that would help, you know, food-wise, I suppose. Um, but he was a hard worker, and he was protective, protective of his family. He spent time with his kids, and, and Mum, I think he and Mum were an excellent team. You know, being, being the granddaughter, um, I took a lot of pride. Um, having that opportunity to spend time with, with Grandpa and he, it was so important for him to, to teach his grandkids about poetry, all the poems that he had learned over the years mm -hmm. and it was very important to memorize those poems for him because when he called you out, when one of his friends, you know, showed up for a visit, you were called on to recite those poems and he was so proud of his grandkids and he wanted us all to learn and you felt that and you know as a grandfather I knew it then as much as I know it now he was fun he just had a wild sense of humor and he was always trying to stir the pot a little bit so he could get a, a reaction a rise out of you and um, it was a little trickier for him to teach serious life lessons I think that he did have a protectiveness, especially when it came to his daughters and granddaughters. And I wasn't, I feel a sadness I didn't get to know my grandma Aggie, but I know that even as a kid, if I would ask questions about her, grandpa could barely answer them. 
because even after all those years, he would still get emotional. So anything I learned about Grandma Aggie was really from my aunts and uncles and my dad and my mom. So when he had to have these serious talks, uh, it was tough for him. And I remember him sitting me down on the front porch. And I was probably about 10, 11 years old, getting old enough to walk into town by myself or to start picking up the groceries on my own. And he said, you know, Kate, you're going to be walking into town one day and there might, there might be a, a car full of boys that pull up on the side of the road and tell you that they're, they're going to the beach in Cumbermere, but they might not be going to the beach in Cumbermere. And then he walked out of the conversation. <laughs> Luckily, I understood what he was trying to say. Stay safe no matter what, and don't you dare trust the boys. Oh, oh yes. Are uh, you... Um, yeah, both. Okay. Wise old owl. The, um, Saturday and Oak. It's one of the things is that... Uh, what's one of the things he taught us about facing life head on? Well, what comes to my mind is the wise old owl. He sat in the oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. So why not be like that wise old bird? That stayed with me, well, to this day, at the age of 74, you know? So, yeah, um, he had quite the poetry. And do you have a favorite? I, well, I, when you talk about the wise old owl, if you were to talk to anybody in the Nicholson clan, mm -hmm. the wise old owl, right away you're referring to Grandpa. Yeah. Everyone knew that poem, so in terms of the poetry that he taught us, that one was pretty profound. Mm -hmm. And Grandpa was very adamant that life is your classroom. There was, there was never any... You never felt any pressure, at least I didn't, as a, as a grandchild, and it was such a relief. Um, it didn't matter what you accomplished specifically, as long as you never stopped learning through reading and storytelling and visits from, from friends or neighbors. And I just, before I forget this thought, I have to go back to his personality, his wisdom, you know, in that poem, mm -hmm. because Grandpa didn't lose his temper often. At least I wasn't around when he did. <laughs> um, but I was also, if I was staying with him, I was responsible to get the groceries, so he had to, he had to smarten up. But my sister, who's two and a half years younger than me, she, she made coffee for Grandpa one morning. And that was my job, so I have this memory of being really agitated that Grandpa reached out to her to make the coffee was something I did. I knew it was one level teaspoon of instant coffee and one level uh, teaspoon of sugar. You boiled the water, you poured it in, mixed it up, and he was so proud of that. And here's my little sister taking over the job. So I did not help her. And <laughs> he, he wanted Emily to be more confident, my cousin Chris and Emily and I would spend a lot of time together at Grandpa's, that's Aunt Barb's daughter. And we were, we were always picking on Emily, teasing her. She was so tiny and quiet. <laughs> and uh, Grandpa was really trying to give her that nudge. And that morning, 
she made his coffee uh, with regular grinds, percolated grinds. <laughs> Grandpa basically had to chew that whole mug of coffee. <laughs> but he never said one thing because it didn't matter. That wasn't the point. He just wanted to... Uh, he wanted to encourage the the people in his life and he knew it would be a great story later but he was so proud of Emily for just doing it and uh, and I thought oh way to go and one job you messed it up and she didn't even get in trouble grandpa drank that whole mug of coffee <laughs> I remember one incident where um, baseball being king in the summertime in Barry's Bay and um, my uh, there was a senior baseball game in Barry's Bay, and um, Henry was uh, sitting in the in the outfield with his chums, uh, Slim Coolis, Lorne Kuyak, um, probably Wilfred Murray. There, there'd be a number of them out there, and uh, they're sitting on their cars. And, and um, anyway, Henry is. Uh, the center fielder. Let's um, let's just uh, he he he's there for Barry's Bay and and Henry and the lads are just on his case and uh, is for argument. Let's just use his name, Howard. So Howard is in center field and Henry and the lads are uh, and Henry being the most boisterous and he's saying he's shouting at at. Uh, the center fielder for Barry's Bay to move in. He's a light hitter. He won't hit it over your head. So Howie moves in a few steps, and then they start yelling, Howie, you're too shallow. He's going to put it over your head. <laughs> and by about the fifth inning, Howie had just had it. Like, he just... So what he did was, <clears throat> he turns around, and he yells my dad's name, directs it directly at Henry and tells him like he calls him down. He's just like he's 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 using words of the anatomy, he's using it's they're not curse words, but they're pretty precise. And um unbeknownst to Howie, while this was going on, Monsignor Micah had ventured over from the from the um from his house to sit with them. So Howie's yelling all this profanity directly at Monsignor Micah. And Henry and his chums just got a charge out of that. It was just, that was, I don't, I don't know why he did it, I don't know how he did it, but he, um, he, he didn't seem to be taking any, uh, he would never, he, he wasn't trying to be cruel to anybody. It was, uh, it was his moment in the sun. Um, I don't know why he did it. Um, I don't think he did it with any, anything malicious in mind. It was, uh, it was almost like a form of entertainment. I agree with that. I, definitely. Grandpa was not a malicious person. His door was open to anyone. His door was open with an understanding that you walk in with a sense of humor 
And I think that when he did, I mean, of course he pushed some people too far, but the lesson in it, I remember even at a young age, was you cannot take things so seriously and you can't control how other people are going to react to a situation. So go with the flow, have a good sense of humor when and whenever you can, even in the uncomfortable moments. And I think with, um, with Grandpa, he was born to be a storyteller. And creating those little catalysts was collecting experiences and information. It was his form of data collection so that he could walk into a room and, and brighten that space with a story. So it was his way of, yeah, and really now that I think of it, data collection, understanding characters and different personalities and trying to put a fun spin on it. But he would never make fun of of somebody. That is really something I stand by, uh, and and he would be upset if he pushed somebody too far. But I think it didn't happen too often. If you knew him as a person and his his true spirit, he would definitely call you out if you um, um, if you if you if you were taking um, um, advantage in in. Um, uh, of an individual's character, um, Henry would he would call you out. I know he did. He did to me um, um, a, a couple of times, and um, you you had taken a situation too far, and he would he would bring you back. So if he knew you, he could bring he had to bring you back. You knew that he brought himself back on, on a situation like that. As a matter of fact, he never coached me. And this is interesting. I'm kind of glad that he never coached me. He, he obviously had a reason for not coaching his own yeah. boys. But I'm glad he never coached me because in that competitive spiritness of... 10 years of age or 11 years of age, um, he always had such a poor ball team. Like you kept track as a, uh, of the team as a kid and you had five wins and two losses. But Henry's teams were always seven losses. And I think one of the reasons was that... Uh, he when when the you know MJ Murray and Monsignor Mike and Henry Nicholson and Danny Murray would get together and pick the teams like sort out the kids. Uh, Henry always took the ones that that um, you know just didn't have the experience and so on and so forth. Like I remember um, many nights um, Little League was on Tuesday and Thursday nights and many nights um, after the second game there'd be a bicycle loaded into a trunk of, a, uh, of our car and Henry had to drive some kid out, you know, out of town to back to the farm because uh, he knew they weren't going to get there <laughs> before dark. Uh, there was a little league um, uh, a game in Trenton and uh, Dad had all the 
bats and balls and God knows what not piled into the trunk of the car. So we made it there well and um, anyway, <laughs> my dad sent me to the trunk, to the car to get something. So I opened the trunk and got what it was he wanted. But in order for me to get what he wanted, I had to put the keys down. And I put the keys down in the trunk. <laughs> Closed the trunk, went to give my dad what he wanted. Hours later, games are over, we're heading home. And remember, this is Trenton. No keys. Keys were in the trunk of the car. Well, my father, I thought was another case. That's it. I'm gone. Dead. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> My dad, he uh, literally had to take the seat out of the car uh, and he sent, I don't know if it was Danny or John, into, crawled into the back of the, into the trunk to look for, the, to feel for the keys because it was damn dark in there and um, found the keys, car was put together again and we headed home. Not a word was mentioned. <laughs> I learned my lesson. I don't think <coughs> I've ever done that again. <laughs> Henry would be watching the news, and uh, there would be rioting in Ireland, or there would be rioting in the Middle East, or some other part of the world. And Henry couldn't understand <laughs> with all the <laughs> rock throwing. <laughs> he couldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> you guys understand why? <laughs> you guys understand why they didn't have bare baseball teams? <laughs> as far as the actual um, baseball game it's, itself, um, the girls, my sister and I, we really were not involved in the actual game. Um, it was the boys. And I just remember that uh, we had so much baseball that um, everything was centered around baseball at one point. Um, however, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I believe it was, the rest of the time was practice. So. <laughs> Anyway, so we were sort of indirectly involved um, in in baseball. Not that we didn't play it; we did. We played it as as in you know groups, neighborhood kids uh, having a game, sort of. But that was about it. Maybe by listening to him, we might have learned a few things, like how to hold that bat and how to run like hell. Um, he he'd pack a bunch of us in the car, and we we'd go off ice fishing after. Uh, after church on Sunday, and um, once you got to the lake, he didn't care if you went into the woods and built a fire and burnt it down. Or you, you knew you were only there because you were two extra lines. Yeah. That's like he didn't teach me anything about fishing. Uh, he just like you were two extra lines. Yeah. That's that's all you were. Taught you to go with the flow in those situations. Yeah. But it, when you. Are referring to coaching and this is this is a little bit off of that point but I grew up you know next generation so I spent I, I spent most of my summers in Barry's Bay and I had 
you know, I didn't know my grandma Aggie, you know, only in spirit, but I spent a lot of time with grandma Mercedes Conway, and she's a, a fierce woman. And Grandpa Henry, when I think of my, my aunts, they didn't play ball, maybe. You know, Aunt Lorna did later on, but they made sure if we wanted to play ball, we played it. And Grandpa encouraged that in us. Actually, most of his granddaughters played baseball at some point. Mm -hmm. um, even Emily. <laughs> and uh, his great-granddaughter, um, Nikita, my goddaughter, she, she plays ball. So the lessons of coaching, he coached uh, the females in his life to be very independent, whether they realized it or not. Because when I think of independence and confidence and an incredible sense of humor, mm -hmm. I think of the Nicholsons, specifically my aunts. Whatever we're talking about, we, we can talk about really heavy things uh, and still have some good laughs. So I think Grandpa coached a lot more of us with his spirit than maybe we we realize his personality I see in all of my aunts and uncles in the Nicholson clan when we have a Nicholson gathering it doesn't matter what is happening in adulthood and we all know that life throws you some pretty heavy plot twists there is fun there is love there is loyalty and there is uh, an expectation that you keep pushing through no matter what you bring to the table so grandpa and I'm sure grandma Aggie spirit you know that they, they, they've been coaching us a long time and I'm a witness I see it I see it in the Nicholson family so Cooperstown was um, an idea that my my brother Mike and I had um, Mike and I and John John wouldn't didn't couldn't go but Mike and I um, uh, we, we were going to take a long weekend in the fall, and we were going to take Henry to Cooperstown. And um, Henry loved to go places once he got there, but trying to get him there was another question. So we didn't tell him where he was going. So Mike calls him and says, uh, Dad, um, we're going to wait for the weekend. I'm going to pick you up on Friday afternoon at the house. Be at the road with your suitcase. I'm only going to slow down. You can jump in the car. They arrive in Ottawa. Henry still doesn't know where he's going. He, uh, he confronts my kids. He confronts my wife. Um, they won't, they've sw been sworn to secrecy. They, they won't tell him where he's going. Um, so I guess it was Friday morning we, we, we head off. And... Uh, we, uh, we, we travel 416 to the 401, and Henry decides, uh, we stop for gas, and, and Henry gets on my case. Like, he, he damn well wants to know where he's going. And I told him, I, I can't tell you, Dad, because Mike will be mad. We get on the 401 westbound, and he thinks, because the Toronto Blue Jays are in the playoffs, that uh, we're going to a Blue Jay game. But then he's thinking, why would I go to Ottawa and back to Toronto when why wouldn't Dan pick me up in in Barry's Bay go on to Barry and we so he had no idea where he was going we get to the uh, Gananoque Parkway 
and um, I said to Mike casually, I said, listen guys, just as a break from the 401, how about we take the parkway here? Everybody's in agreement. We get down the road a bit, and Henry sees a sign that says, U.S. border, 25 kilometers. The next thing we know, there's this can of skull tobacco coming across the, from the back seat of the car in Henry's hand, and he's telling us that he's paying at Paul Betsky's store X number of dollars for this tobacco, but the truck drivers are buying it in the States for much less. So Mike says, well, Dad, do you want to go across and um, get some? To which Henry says, I don't want to be a bother. But... Uh, don't want to be a burden. We venture, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be a... I, would, I don't want to be a burden. So anyway, we agree there. You're not a burden, Dad. We'll, we'll just cross in and pick you up some tobacco. So I don't know. We pick up like... We cross into New York State. We pick up like 25 tins of tobacco for Henry and um, and we continue and he uh, and then at that point we had to tell him that he was going to uh, Cooperstown oh my god he was excited and uh, yeah the uh, I remember I think the highlight for me was uh, him standing beside the uh, the uh, Babe Ruth and uh, getting his uh, his picture taken and um, I think that uh, he thought that um, Nipissing uh, his team from Cross Lake could probably have beaten Dave Ruth and the Yankees back in the 30s. But uh, yeah, we had a good trip. I think you know, uh, we heard a lot of it, uh, not directly to us, but like when visitors came in, uh, Dad had this big story to tell, and of course you happened to be there too, so you heard it. And if uh, 10 visitors came in, you heard it 10 times, but by the God, by the time the 50th visitor came in, <laughs> you pretty well had it all down to bat. But anyway, um, that's... Yes, you could certainly tell he enjoyed it. What that trip did do was it um, instigated a, an annual fall trip um, with Henry, and um, other siblings uh, were included after that. Mm -hmm. And once a year, we went, uh, we would go on a trip um, every couple of years. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Every year we would we would venture off someplace with Henry. Um, one that was really interesting was um, we went to we were in Quebec City, and my two sisters were uh, Barb and um, Barb and Mert were with us. And anyway, we uh, Barb and I went out for a walk in the morning. We were staying at the Shadow Frontenac. And we, uh, we decided that what we would do is we would book a carriage ride for Henry along the, uh, the uh, Plains of Abraham. And <clears throat> what happened was Barb and I went out and uh, so the, all the collage uh, drivers are there and we see them in their top hats and everything. But the third carriage, this guy looked hungover. 
he was he was an old guy he just looked he just looked hungover so I decided that's who Henry's got to go with so we talked him into uh, we told him that dad wasn't that mobile and we talked him into uh, you know he, he pulled right up to the against all rules and regulations he pulled right up to the front door to pick Henry up and um, and off we go and uh, anyway um, I think it was my sister Mert that went with him and when they came back an hour later they're they're all laughing they're all they're having a great time we have a picture we have a picture of Henry the horse and the driver and I have it cap captioned as which one is the old whiskey soak? <laughs> anyway, she tells a story after that uh, they're driving along and uh, Henry's on a, within minutes, he's on a first name basis with, uh, with this uh, carriage driver. And he says to uh, the driver, he points to a tree and he says, is that a Manitoba maple? And the carriage driver stops the carriage in the middle of an intersection. And he turns to Henry and he says, Sacre man, Henry, what the hell would we want a, ma a Manitoba maple for in Quebec City? It was, the, the two of them laughing was just, it was incredible. Um, I think we were all favorites. Oh, I, I, I'm clear on this. Uh, uh, my brother Mike was the, the favorite. Like, <laughs> there's no ifs, ands, or buts about mm -hmm. it. He was, mm -hmm. he could, uh, he could get away with with mm -hmm. anything. It didn't matter. Um, it didn't matter what my, uh, Mike did. He was. Uh, I mentioned that that uh, that trip to Cooperstown. Uh, it was my car. Um, I arranged it. But a week after Henry got home, days after Henry got home, if they asked him, you know, about a trip to Cooperstown, that good boy Mike of his was the one that was behind it all. And the lesson to be learned here is the opening um, volume here. Well, I I was okay. I, I was pretty tired of listening to uh, you know my boy Danny, no, no. Uh, my boy John. I no, uh, no. You know, Mike was definitely the favorite. And uh, I have no problem with that because uh, I was my mother's favorite. Well, I think Aunt Barb has a problem with both of those things. <laughs> she well, should have worked all, harder. <laughs> first of all, uh, I was mom's favorite. Uh, without a doubt, I was definitely dad's favorite. Um, yeah, I think you guys just missed out. But truthfully though, I think, I think we were all favorites. I don't think they had any favorite. We just like to think we were the favorite because that's the way they made us feel. Well, just to talk about different personalities and different roles that people played in, in Grandpa's life, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Aunt Barb, he had, he had an especially soft spot for his girls, right? And... The boys had baseball, and the girls 
he just, they were his girls. And for Aunt Barb's 60th birthday, right? Mm -hmm. She had a, a they, they planned a, a themed party. So you had to come in costume, a 60s themed costume. And they, they got grandpa that day, like a big wig to wear. <laughs> and grandpa thought at, that was actually the summer, that was June, the summer that he passed away. And uh, grandpa for Aunt Barb, he didn't want to do it. And he had his oxygen tank, uh, but he pushed himself to get a wig on and dress up and go to that party for Aunt Barb. It's nice to talk about Grandpa. And yeah. it's nice, I mean, even talking about your dad, like we, I spent so much time with these guys. They were, yeah. they were like characters in mm -hmm. a storybook. Yeah. And I, I truly, um, it, it catches you off guard when you get emotional because, you know, like we've all been trained, the Nicholson clan, you better have one hell of a sense of humor, right? Yeah. And you have about two seconds to let out that emotion and then you got to leave the space. <laughs> and, oh, uh, yeah. you know, it's, uh, oh, it's, I loved anybody else when your dad would come over. Um, Mr. McGraw was, oh, and Mr. Gaffney too. I had such mm -hmm. like a soft spot for them. He took me to the dump once. Yeah. The, the bears, yeah. you know, the, the bears at the dump. Grandpa wanted me to, to see the big bear show. Yeah. Everybody had been talking about this. And Grandpa wasn't driving at that time. So he told Bobby Poulos to take me in his red truck to yeah. the dump. So he and I went on a date to the dump. Yeah, Kate, that's, that's uh, really nice Barb and, um, and Myrtle and I and Henry went on a long weekend trip. And I took them to Kenny Bunkport. And uh, anyway, it was lunchtime. And I pull into this restaurant, and we're on the second floor. Um, we're later lunch, and um, so the, the place is quite empty. But there's a, a window overlooking all the boats coming in with their, with their uh, seafood. And I thought Henry would be pretty interested in that. Which he was. So I said to him, I said, uh, Dad, do you want me to order you uh, some fish? We'll order some fish together for, for lunch. And um, Henry says, nope, I'll order my own lunch. So that's fine. So here's this scene that uh, right out of... Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just the perfect situation. The waiter shows up, asks Henry what he wants, liver and onions. You know, it was just, yeah, anyway. I still catch myself uh, counting the wheels on a transport truck. When I was little, Grandpa taught us, his, you know, his grandkids, how to count the, the true amount of wheels on a transport truck and it became a game when we would sit on on the front porch no music nothing complicated we just sat in nature and we'd count the wheels on a truck as it drove by and I got so excited about that it sounds silly but I still catch myself if I'm waiting at a red light 
you know, to, to get onto the highway, I'll, I'll, I'll count the wheels on a transport truck. And I think also I, I feel Grandpa most present still in, in life and my surroundings when I'm in nature because he, he didn't even have to teach that with his words. It was just his actions and his stories. It was your responsibility to protect nature and respect it. Uh, something as simple as sitting outside with a cup of coffee, waiting for a friend to come by for a visit. The equation was very simple. And I think sometimes in the fast-paced life, we can forget that. But in the, in the last year, during the pandemic, it is a true test of skill to be able to sit on your own calmly and without any additional entertainment or sounds. Can you calmly sit in nature and be okay with that and find peace? So I, I feel I'm the most in those moments and the transport trucks. <laughs> I, remember, um, I remember seeing Henry uh, with his hoe. In his in his garden, and I remember seeing him carry a snake off. Like he he had the snake, and it was he had it on the hoe, and he he walked to the edge of the garden and and uh, flipped him off. And um, because I I I myself am not that fond of snakes, but. In his mind, that snake in the garden had a place. It helped the fight against potato bugs in, in the garden. Another time I remember, my brother Mike and I were playing catch in the yard, and um, one of the um, silver maples, there was a woodpecker on it. And for some reason or other, I turned around, threw a perfect strike at that woodpecker, killed him, stoned it. And uh, anyway, uh, I was terrified because um, that wasn't. I knew. I knew in my in my youth that that wasn't the proper thing to do. I knew that Henry would be upset about that, but. Uh, he was. I learned he was actually okay with it because that woodpecker was killing his maple tree. So, with the forces of nature, I I was cleared from uh, uh, by killing it. So. I think the one thing that I remember about Henry is being um, he was a very disciplined individual. He um, Henry was a terrible individual um, to take to a buffet. Um, when Henry ate, he, uh, a plate would be put in front of him. He consumed that plate, and that was it. He would never go for seconds. Um, and the other thing is, when he turned 60, uh, 60 years of age, uh, so here's a guy that, you know, was was a beer drinker his whole life. Um, he, um, he stopped drinking at 60 years of age. On his 60th birthday, he stopped cold turkey. And um, he, uh, 
speaking to his discipline, he knew that he was, you know, a few years away from retirement, and he thought that he better get himself properly aligned for that point in his life. When it comes to self-discipline, uh, yes, he definitely had it. Um, smoking. This man smoked two and a half packs a day. He got up during the night to smoke. And he decided he was going to quit when the time came, and he quit. And I always felt that if he could, if one person can do that, any smoker should be able to do that. You know? But anyway... Uh, just changing a wee bit here. Um, one thing I've uh, always been aware of, I think, is uh, I've always wanted to have the patience that my dad had. So Henry, when he retired, he went into politics. Mm -hmm. okay. So when Henry went into politics, and, and he was um, he was a councillor for Sherwood Jones and Burns for for two two terms, and then. Um, when he when he left, he, when he was when he was uh, calling it quits and going into full retirement, um, he was interviewed by the uh, local newspaper of the time, and um, his last words on uh, from municipal politics were: "Smaller grow the ranks of those of us who still prefer to stress the brighter side of life." That was Barb Shepard, Nay Nicholson, and Dan Nicholson, two of Henry Nicholson's children, along with Kate Nicholson, one of Henry's many grandchildren. We'd like to thank them all for sharing their memories of Henry with us today, especially those interesting stories of their father and grandfather, who to this day has left a lasting impression on many people here in Barry's Bay. If you didn't work with Henry back in the local lumber yard in the 1970s or knew him as your Little League baseball coach in the 1960s, you might remember him with his big bulldozer plowing out your driveway in those wild winter blizzards we used to have in the 1950s. I'm Kristen Marchand, and for the producer of the Apiongo line, Barry Conway, we'd like to wish the Nicholson clan and all those dads out there today a very happy Father's Day. Good day and God bless.